We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Welcome back. This is another edition of the Big Blue Banter New York Giants Locker Room, where we aim to hang out with you guys, fans of the Big Blue Banter Show fans of the New York football Giants, and give you a little update to talk about what's going on with the team. Right now, training camp is well underway, so we'll be talking about training camp. Today's action from August 3rd this Tuesday when, guess what? Well, the live pads finally came on and tempers were apparently flaring for the New York football Giants at training camp practice. So welcoming in right now, Nick, take over the mic for now, Nick, as I try to send out a tweet so we can get some people in here. Yeah, it's great. I mean, a lot of information to take away from today's training camp, just from the brawl perspective, from Kenny Galladay and his hamstring tightness. Obviously, we're all hoping that nothing serious comes from that. And then there's also Joe Judge just having a warranted conniption, which I'm sure we're going to get into. We all talk about how he's a hard-nosed type of coach. He has that reputation coming from the Bill Belichick tree, and now it's more than apparent that it's not going to be okay to fight in practice like that. So there's a couple of cool quotes we'll go over about that brawl. And we'll also just talk about the offensive onslaught that we saw. We've heard so much about how well the defense was doing in training camp. And today it was a much different script, which is welcomed and great to hear because we need this offense to start developing and getting on the same schedule. So by week one, they can actually score more than 17 points per game. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it right there, Nick. There's a lot to talk about. The first and most important is obviously Kenny Galladay. He came up a little limp. That's probably not the right term, but he came up with what appeared to be a lower body injury. Some people have said, is it a hamstring injury? I don't think that's been confirmed yet by any means, so we don't really know what the injury is. But Galladay was stretched out by trainers and then walked off the field and did not return to practice. So that's something to keep an eye on. Obviously, Kenny Galladay is a massive piece of this offense. If this offense is going to take a step forward, well, it's going to run through the X. It's going to run through Galladay. And it tried to run through the X last year with Slayton, and that just didn't work at all. And so this offense, I don't see changing much schematically. I don't think Jason Garrett's going to reinvent the wheel or completely retool his offense in one offseason. I don't even think the Giants would want him to. Dave Gettleman seems very sure in saying that I really want Daniel Jones to go into year two of the same system. So the system will remain. And they need a big X. They need Galladay. He's such an important component. He was both of me and Nick's number one target in free agency by far for the Giants. It wasn't even close. There was no close second for me. Uh, 
you know, assuming that Taylor Moten didn't hit the market, and ultimately he did not hit the market, Taylor Moten. So it's big, and we got to monitor this one. There's not too much more on that. Nick, do you have any other thoughts on the Galladay injury? You got to think about it. This is a $40 million guaranteed investment. And if he were to be down for year one, that would be absolutely devastating. And there's no other word to uh, really nail that down. But I mean, that's, we got to wait to see what exactly it is. I mean, he walked off the field. It's not like he needed the cart. So, but let's just be patient. Hopefully it's something very, very minor. and It's not going to miss too much of training camp and he'll see week one, but that's a, it's a big investment. And I think it's the perfect piece. If Jason Garrett's going to run this same offense and not tweak it that much. Jason Garrett needs somebody like Kenny Galladay. We can't cut, try to pigeonhole Darius Slayton, who's a nice receiver, into that true X role because it just didn't really come to fruition and, and out on the field or, or result in any kind of you know really important wins. So, I mean, I think Slayton can be an excellent receiver in this offense, but not as that true number one option as a receiver. Yeah, and the other thing with that is this. Listen, there's a history in the NFL of receivers taking time and struggling through the first, I don't know, quarter, half of the season when they go and move over to a new team after playing for a consistently long period of time with one quarterback. It takes time to build a rapport. That's why I would say Galladay, more than most players on this roster, it's really important for them to be healthy for every single training camp practice, for, you know, through the preseason, for the small amounts of reps they're going to get there. The rapport and timing with Jones is key. It's why at the end of his career, everybody would say, you know, Eli Manning is holding back Odell Beckham Jr. But look at Odell Beckham Jr. without Eli Manning. And look at Plaxico Burris after he went away from Eli Manning. There was a timing and a rhythm to the passes between Eli and OBJ and Eli and Plax that made those receivers, that was part of what made those receivers what they were. Eli threw with a lot of zip and he threw with great timing on those routes. And so that's absolutely really important between Jones and Galladay. They need to get all the reps they can so they can develop a timing. Absolutely. And I think we've said this on the podcast. It was excellent that they were working together in the offseason. And hopefully, like you alluded to, a lot of receivers changing teams doesn't always result immediately. But last year, there were two that did, Stephon Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona. Now, we're hope, we were hoping with all that extra work that Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay did throughout the offseason, it would be more like them rather than like OBJ going to Cleveland. Yeah, there are examples on both sides, but typically over time, it's been a little more weighted to that side. It's taking a little bit of time. Um, even there, as you saw, Diggs was a few games. I'm not Diggs. I mean, um, Hopkins was a few games before he started. Mm-hmm. With um, a couple other things we're going to touch on first before we get to your questions. If you guys do want to talk to us like a normal locker room, you know, the live Q&A, please hit request to speak. We see Todd in here, Stan and Rohan, but none have requested to speak just yet, so... Keep an eye on that. We'll be keeping an eye. Hit request to speak to talk. But other big news from today was there was a brawl at practice. There was a fight during the team period. Apparently, it started with a big hit on Corey Clement downfield. Evan Ingram then shoved uh, Jabril Beppers, who made the big hit on Clement. And then Logan Ryan came in, and Ryan nailed uh, Evan Ingram from behind. The whole team got involved. Joe Judge was livid. Full team sent to run sprints, according to Dan Dugan. And now I actually just heard from Stan that I can, you can barely hear me, so there must be some issue with my phone in that regard. Uh, Nick, maybe you take over and lead, the, lead this. Yeah, see if there's something up with your phone, just having some difficulties there. Thank you, Stan, for relaying that. But, yeah, I mean, 
I love the competitive nature. I love, you know, I mean, training camp fights, they happen. Obviously, I'm not going to say I love them, but I understand why they happen. I mean, it happens at all levels of football. The one thing that I do not like about this is that Daniel Jones ended up on the bottom of the pile. And yes, he's trying to break it up and pull people off. But you never want to hear that when tempers are flaring and people are pushing each other and there are bodies on the ground that your, your quarterback is, is one of the ones that are on the bottom of the pile. That's not something that you necessarily want to hear. And maybe that is one of the main reasons why Joe Judge was incredibly livid and made the whole team run sprints and do push-ups and do all of these things to kind of punish them. And we have some cool Joe Judge quotes as well about the situation. He was asked after practice, quote, just kind of a broad question. As you get together for the second week of pads, it seems like that's when you get a little testy. We haven't seen it yet. I'm curious what your policy is on practice fights. This must have been actually prior. And he said, it's real simple. If you fight in a game, you're ejected, you're fined, and it's a penalty for the team. So we're not going to practice anything that we're not going to do in a game. Love that mentality. If you have the opportunity to play as hard as you want between the whistles, that's what we're going to do. We're not looking for cheap shots. We're going to play nasty, but we're not going to play dirty. There's a difference. For our guys, we understand that we can't do anything that's going to put ourselves behind. Penalties, turnovers, those are major factors in losing games. We're going to make sure that anything that relates to penalties, we're going to coach and make sure that we do not accept that. And I love that mentality, to be honest. You practice what you preach. You practice what you're going to implement on those Sundays or Mondays or Thursdays or Saturdays late in the season. So I actually appreciate that. But at the end of the day, man, it's training camp, man. We've been talking about it. We want the pads back on, pads back on, first day them back on. What happens? Gigantic brawl. Yeah, I think – and let me know if you guys still can't hear me. It sounds like Todd can hear me. Luke, uh, or I'm sorry, Stan couldn't hear me. So just let me know if you guys still can't hear me. I'll try to – You're coming in faint with me as well, Dan. Faint with you as well. Okay. Well, I'll just up my uh, voice, I guess, for now and almost Much yell better. into this until I can fix it. But <laughs> – I'd say this. I think to me, the most interesting thing about this fight is not that it happened because you're going to expect these things to happen when the pads come on fully like they did. And when it's the first real live hitting and, you know, the first real padded practice that actually matters. But having said that, I think what's more interesting is what happened after it, which is Joe Judge getting the team to do a bunch of sprints, goal line sprints, push up a series of sprints and push ups for a long time. And now, after practice, Ledger Duzable, who's a former Giants player, Duzable was like, listen, this whole Patriots way thing that Judge is doing, this incredible long sprint, goal line sprint, it'll work if they win. If they don't win, it's not going to work. And I think there is some point to that. You know, Nick and I have discussed previously on podcast this week about how this message will wear out if you don't win. We saw it in Detroit with Patricia. We've seen it in plenty of places. You have to win to be able to be the Belichick saving type coach. But Having said that, no one ever discusses the flip side of this, right? No one ever thinks about like, okay, yeah, if you're not winning, the message will drain out. But the flip side is McAdoo, who was an easygoing players type coach, Ben McAdoo. And yet when things broke down for him and the message stopped getting across, the entire locker room collapsed to the point where they had to change their entire culture, get rid of guys like Landon Collins and Odell Beckham, who you thought were staples of the franchise. You thought these guys were the faces, and yet... They couldn't be anymore. They had to retool and restart their entire culture there because that's the downfall. So the grass is not always greener. Like if Judge flames out and the message doesn't get across because the Giants are not winning enough football games, that's one thing. But it's not like the opposite way. Being a player's coach leads to anything better. It leads to just as hard of a craft. 
So for me, I get what Doosable is saying, but in the same time, I don't really think that there's any true negative to this style of coaching. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be fair, if you are a coach like McAdoo, like you said, you start losing, guess what? The same exact thing is going to happen. This is a win-result business. You need to win football games. That's the end of the day. It doesn't matter how you're coaching. If you're not winning football games, you're going to find yourself unemployed very quick. Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. Okay, let's talk about some other interesting notes from practice before we get to some questions from the listeners, uh, some live Q&A stuff here. Todd Davis retired, so... That was, you know, maybe he just couldn't handle the heat from Joe Judge's practices, I guess. But no, <laughs> ultimately, Blake Martinez was back. The working Blake in kind of, I guess, you know, the word for it would be, uh, you know, not cautiously, but they're working him back progressively. He's not taking a full slate of reps just yet. But with Blake Martinez back off the COVID IL or whatever it was, the COVID list, there's no longer really a need for Todd Davis and Pierce. According to one beat, I believe it was Dugan, Sterling Shepard has looked uncoverable so far in camp. There was one clip of Shepard running a really, really sweet route that went on Giants Twitter today. And I'm really excited about that for a lot of reasons, Nick. For one, I think he was playing through a toe injury that kind of gets pushed under the rug last season. But it slowed down his ability, in my mind, to make those quick cuts, to create separation by planting and exploding off of that toe that was injured so that's one thing too i think with galladay in the mix and barkley back in the mix and potentially you know having rudolph in there having ingram who's having a good game which we'll get to shortly having those guys take a lot more pressure off Shepard to be that one and he's going to feast in the slot on some easier matchups so i'm really excited about how Shepard has looked so far i think uh, sterling Shepard as the number two receiver in two by two sets or the number three receiver in three by one sets so the innermost receiver basically the slot if you want to term it that way i think that's just excellent for the new york giants in their quick passing game we know that Jason Garrett loves operating quick game. We saw it ad nauseum, it seemed like, last year, mainly because it's his philosophy and because the Giants' offensive line struggled last season. But I think him in the slot, dude, that's going to open up so much more with Kenny Galladay taking the top off and kind of putting stress on them safeties. There should be just a lot more available in the middle of the field. And with the precise route running that we know Sterling Shepard has, I think that can just lead to great things for the Giants and hopefully help bail them out in these, you know, second, intermediate, and even third and uh, third and seven type of situations. I mean, I, I think you might be onto something about us kind of brushing his toe injury under the rug. Because when you watch some of these clips, you're like, he moves incredibly well. He did in that Philadelphia game too. He moved incredibly well, but we didn't see that consistently throughout the season. Yeah, no doubt about it, Nick. A few other things. Jones, Daniel Jones had his best day. He was a full, he was seven for seven, full team period. And he went four for four in the seven on seven. Mike Lennon also had a big practice. Finally, the offense got some things going. A few other tweets from the beat that we'll get to before getting to your questions. Um, and in addition to that, you know, I like seeing Corey Clement getting some reps with Jones unit. I like seeing Matt Parrott, who's back now off you know, the pup list and practicing. And i like to see him have a really, really nice rep against Cam Brown. Speaking of pair, I feel like I was looking at that rep, Nick, and this is the first we've seen of the revamped Matt Parrott, who's now had a full offseason to work on his frame. And I remember reading from the Senior Bowl a couple years ago that Parrott looked like a tight end running offensive line drills. I'll tell you this, Nick, watching him in that rep against Cam Brown, he didn't look like no tight end, man. He has packed on a nice, amount of muscle and weight to his frame and he really looks like an offensive tackle now 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Absolutely. You want to know, Dan, have you ever played Super Smash? I have, actually. You know what he reminded me of in that rep with the body type that he has? He reminded me of Bowser, bro. Just like stout, low to the ground. He had a low center of gravity, low hips, and just punches, and it's just devastating. That's what he reminded me of in uh, in that clip. And I, I was just like, wow, man. If he can actually sustain this and be consistent with it, then the Giants could have you know, looked like they got a left tackle and a right tackle on the top 100 of the 2020 draft, which would be absolutely fantastic. And I think that's the whole thing with it. When you watch a rep like that from Paris, you see what that you, you it's a flash it's a flash of what his upside can be it's a flash of what he can get to if he puts it all together it's exactly why the giants were so excited to get him inside the top 100 picks and it has to still all be put together we have to see it against live nfl defensive linemen there were obviously moments where he did not look like an nfl player last year specifically that ravens game which was a disaster for him but, you know, if it comes together and it clicks, you can kind of start to see what that upside will be like. Some other news and notes, David Sills had another big day. I think it was three touchdowns in today's practice. David Sills is that training camp hero. He is the guy, man. Let's see if he can carry it over to the preseason, and let's see if that earns him a roster spot. But he's the guy, man. It seems like he's locked in right now. I think it was, who was the kid from Florida State uh, a couple years ago? Travis, uh, maybe Travis Rudolph, was that his name? I believe that was his name, yes. Yeah, he was a training camp hero a few years ago, and I think it earned him a roster spot, at least temporarily. So we'll see if that will be the same case for David Sills. A few more tweets from the beat, and then we will get to questions from you guys, because this is supposed to be a live Q&A show. A couple tweets from the beats. 
Jordan Ronan and I believe Zach Rosenblatt stated Evan Ingram stood out in blocking one-on-ones. He pancaked some guys, quote unquote, in blocking drills. He also had a really nice. He's also had a really nice camp, according to Rosenblatt. No drop so far. Impressive in blocking drills. No drops. What do you make of this, Nick? I mean, I want to see it translate on Sunday. And I feel like, are you and I in agreement, Dan, that we have seen progression from Evan Ingram as a blocker throughout his career? I think there's been progression with him as a blocker. I think he's gotten a lot better as a blocker. I think he's taken well to the coaching, and I think his effort has even improved from what we saw at Ole Miss. The problem for me is the frame just doesn't hold up a lot of the time, and there's only so many things you're so limited with him based on his frame as a blocker. So to me, like, yes, he looks good in camp doing some blocking drills. To me, that doesn't move the needle whatsoever to me. The drops, that's one thing. That's something that will catch my attention. The blocking, no, not me, because I just don't think that frame has much upside as a blocker. But I will say it's better that he's pancaking people and not getting dominated at the point of attack. But I also want to know who these people are. Now, is he dominating? Uh, is he dominating, you know, uh, some defensive lineman? Is it like a B.J. Hill type on some weird situation where they want to line him up outside by the tight end? Or is he probably going up against a Carter Coughlin or a Cam Brown or a back-end roster guy? Yeah, I think that's key to note as well. It depends because he's not, you know, there's, it's like that Cardinals game where they played what was it? The five ten. They played. They played in a specific way, a specific front that really hurt the Giants because of players like Ingram. What was it, Nick? What are you talking about? The Cardinal game. They lined up a, a six and seven technique a lot of the time, either directly over top the tight end or just inside yeah. the tight end. And then yeah, they would like sugar really the a gaps and like really make the interior offensive line focus on the a gap because blitzes sometimes came and it didn't and it left a lot of those tight ends on islands that they just couldn't handle. Yes, exactly. And those are the situations where no matter what we read about Ingram and Camp, I don't see him bailing the Giants out of those spots. I still see him being a massive liability in those spots. And, you know, we'll see if he even plays in those spots. There's a chance that they could put on Kyle Rudolph. There's a chance they can put on Caden Smith. I mean, if you look at it today, Jones was four for four in that team period with passes to Eli Penny, Darius Slayton, and Caden Smith. That surprised me, the fact that those guys are even running with the unit. I can only hope that's not the case as much in the regular season once you get Kadarius Tony up to speed. Because ultimately, if you have a lot of snaps with Eli Penny and Caden Smith on the field, something went wrong because that means you don't have a lot of these receivers on the field or Ingram or Rudolph. So you got can't be too cute with it. I know Garrett wants to run some semblance of 12 personnel with two tight ends and 21 personnel with two backs and a fullback being Elijah Penny. But ultimately, it limits the offense and hamstrings their upside for explosive plays. So that's just something to keep an eye on. One other news and note, and then we're going to get to some questions from you guys. And that's Joe Judge said, backup quarterback Mike Glennon has a physical tool set that fits into what they're trying to do. He's experienced in production in the NFL. That stood out to me, Nick, because Colt McCoy doesn't have that same uh, skill set. And I think ultimately what he means by that, what they're trying to do, quote unquote, from Judge, they're trying to be a vertical team. They're trying to be a team that pushes the ball down the field. That's what the Coriolis-based system is for Garrett. That's what Garrett's system is at its peak. Do you believe that they're going to find a better way to do that this year? I would really hope that they find a better way to do that. Uh, I mean, they take these shots. But they usually, I mean, they don't take the shots, but they usually run like the clearouts with verticals and stuff. But they don't take the shot quite enough. And I don't know if that was a product of Jones being shy, which I don't think it is, because he actually does have a pretty solid deep ball that he showcases, and he definitely wasn't shy about doing that in 2019. But 
It could also just be the fact that the offensive line was really bad and they just wanted to get the football out of his hands quickly. One read, if it's not there, dump it up, you know, slant flat type of things, throw to the reaction of the defender, which doesn't really have the upside. It doesn't have the explosive plays that you and I kind of have just been harping on with this podcast. We want to see more explosive plays and you're not going to necessarily get that at a quick game, especially with the 2020 personnel that they had. Yeah, you're 100% right about that, Nick. And I think that it's just something we're going to have to kind of wait and see and just, you know, feel it out as it goes type of thing. All right, let's get to some questions from the listeners here. We have a few guys jumping in. We'll start with Rohan or Rohan. I hope I pronounced that right. Is it Rohan or Rohan? It's Rohan. You got it right. right. Awesome. Hey, Rohan. What's up, man? What's up? What's up, guys? I think first time that I'm, I'm on the locker room. Excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you on, man. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Um, I wanted to – I know you guys do probabilities, so I'm going to ask you guys this question. What do you think is a probability that Jason Garrett is with the Giants at the end of this season? Okay, I think this is interesting. So I think um, there are two ways that he's not going to be with the Giants, right? The Giants offense is the same way it was in 2019, and they suck, and they're like 31st in explosive plays. And then Joe Judge says, look, we have to go in another direction. And if that happens, then Daniel Jones probably isn't going to be the quarterback either, so they're going to be in the quarterback hunt. Or say everything clicks. Everything's great. The Giants offense is a top-10 offense. Oh, my gosh. Jason Garrett has to get another head coaching job, and then he vacates the Giants and takes another head coaching job because it seems like he's really well-liked and respected among owners around the league. I think those are two ways that he's not going to uh, be with the Giants next year, and probability on a scale of 1 to 10, I I might split the difference and just say a 5 or a 4, actually, I'm going to say, because they could just be, you know, a middle-of-the-pack team, possibly get that seventh uh, playoff spot, lose and then they're like you know what we're going to bring this back run it back daniel jones will possibly give you your fifth year option and try it again another kick at the can i'm gonna go a little bit higher here ron i'm gonna go a seven likelihood of him not being back i think that it will be very very easy for the giants to play him as the scapegoat if they don't make the playoffs this year although john mara has said there's no declaration or decree that they have to make the playoffs he all but said that they have to make the playoffs. I mean, if you go this many years without making the playoffs, after dipping into future salary cap space to get Kenny Galladay in, to get Adoree Jackson in, to win now, it's time. I mean, that is the time for a scapegoat. And I don't think Judge will be the scapegoat. I know Patrick Graham won't be the scapegoat. And ultimately, I don't think Dave Gettleman will be the scapegoat. I think it will be an easy scapegoat, Jason Garrett. So for that reason, what are the chances? Of, I, I think you actually said what are the chances of him being back, correct? Yes, that's right. Yep, what are the chances? Oh, so of then it would back? be thirty. So it would be a thirty percent. Okay. I'll give it a three of ten. I just think there's a and and listen. I still think the Giants have a good shot to be a playoff winning team. So I, it almost feels weird going that low because of that. But you know, worst case scenario, if they do make a run and if you make the playoffs, there's still at least a chance that Garrett does get a head coaching job because everything Nick said is true. He's really well respected around the league. And somebody who's done it before and somebody, you know, when they get to this next round of coaching cycle, there's always going to be those teams, usually like two, three teams that just have no options left. There's no good options. They have to settle for a coordinator. You know, they have to settle for that type of choice. So some of those teams might look at it and be like, we want a guy who's done it as a head coach for a long period of time and as a track record. So there's still a chance of that. So combine the chance of that with the chance of the Giants making him the scapegoat. And I'll, and I'll put it out of three. All right. 
Am I allowed to follow up that question with something else yeah, man, along the same lines? Definitely. Absolutely. What are the chances that Patrick Graham is back with the Giants at the end of the season? Ooh, buddy. Buddy. Okay. Patrick Graham. So this is an interesting one because he loves being a New York Giant. He loves being the assistant head coach, the defensive coordinator. He says it's where he wants to be. But if the Giants' defense can be better than they actually were in 2020, if they can make the playoffs, he could be this year's Brandon Staley. And if the right opportunity presents itself, and I think that's going to be a big thing with Patrick Graham, and I think it was a big thing for Brandon Staley. Yeah, he kind of came on hot here, but the Chargers were the right opportunity. They have defensive personnel that interest him, and they have a young quarterback in Justin Herbert. There's a team out there that has all those things. I could see Patrick Graham actually vacating if that situation fits him well enough. I'm going to say likely that he'll return, though. I'm going to put that at a, uh, I'm going to say a good six and a half. I think that's fair. I think, okay, so if he returns, it's probably because there's not that many head coaches up for jobs. Because if there are a lot of head coach openings, he's probably going to go if the Giants are as good as we think they can be on defense. Now, if the Giants' defense takes any kind of step back, or if it's about as good as it was last year, that could help his chances potentially, but I think Nick and I are pretty confident it's going to take a step forward with Adoree and Aziz added to the mix. So you look at it like, you know, is, is, is the team going to make him their Brandon Staley? Now, when it comes to Staley, I've actually been recently reading a lot about Staley. I read this really good uh, film-based article on Staley, and I'll say this. As much as I love Patrick Graham, I think Staley's a, a level above him. The stuff that Staley was doing last season was just awesome to watch being broken down from the film standpoint. Schematically speaking, I think he is was the best coordinator in the NFL on the defensive side of the ball last season. So he might be an anomaly from that standpoint. Obviously, he was young, too. He didn't have as much experience. But Graham is also a bit in that same kind of boat. Like He doesn't have former head coach experience. He only has a little bit of coordinator experience. So that could help the Giants. And he likes it here. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say the chances of him being back are probably in the seven range, seven, seven and a half. Nice. Another interesting thing about Staley, too, like literally five years ago, this guy was a Division three coach in Ohio at, like, John Carroll University, and now he's the head football coach of the Chargers. Like, his ascension was insane. Yeah, it really is. It shows yeah. what, you know, the respect that these NFL teams have for people who can draw it up really well and schematically get an edge for you. All right, Rohan, thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, take care, it. bud. All right. Anyone else who's listening in, hit that request to speak button and ask, and ask us a question, and we'll talk to you. Next up, we have Todd. What is, what going, is going on, on? Todd? How you doing, my friend? Hey, guys. Uh, appreciate the show, as always. Um, I apologize. I was on vacation. Daniel, appreciate this hiking out west with the family and some of the national parks. So I'm a couple of podcasts behind. Nice. Where'd so in, uh, we hit them all. Uh, we did the Utah parks, Bryce and um, the Grand Canyon. And then we went to Zion as well. So uh got to go back. And I think my wife is okay and greenlit uh, a boy's trip in the future. So that'll be fun. That's uh, even more. Hey, Todd, what was your favorite one? Cause I'm actually looking to do like the same thing. I've, I've done the Grand Canyon already, but what, what was your favorite one out of all those other than the Grand Canyon? Yeah. I mean, honestly, the, 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 the scale of the Grand Canyon, I mean, nothing tops that. I mean, that's hard to comprehend and, and that, but I, I think, uh, my family would say Bryce just cause that's such a unique geography. Uh, but me personally, to answer your question directly, I like Zion cause that was more hiking and more, if you wanted to put in the work to get some of the views, you could do that. So I would say Zion was my favorite out of the three that we did. Um, 
Yeah, but I mean, they're all so unique in, in, in their own way. I mean, it's totally, you could spend months out there and not see one-tenth of it. So uh, a good excuse to go back, if nothing else. Um, but uh, but anyways, um, I apologize uh, if if you guys maybe already addressed this in a, in a, in a recent podcast, but I know in, in one of the podcasts I was listening to on the defensive side of the ball, you guys were talking about the impact of coaching um, and getting career years and maximizing the talent that was going into last season's roster on the defensive side of the ball, I think we all pretty much agreed there wasn't a ton of, of talent there, but yet, you know, we had several individual players have their best years ever under Patrick Graham on the offensive side of the ball, uh, not being a Jason Garrett fan and, but giving him some, you know, wiggle room with some of the injuries to Saquon and the line being what it was, who would you guys say are candidates to have that type of a, a, a year or a season or an improvement or leap you know, aside from the obvious Daniel Jones being the linchpin, but is there anybody else on the offensive side of the ball that might be a candidate to make that big jump and get some career years out of? All right, I'm going to name two people. I think the easy one that comes to my mind right off the bat, Dan and Todd, is, is Andrew Thomas because he did struggle significantly with Rosaldo strides late in the season. But I kind of want to go with a skilled position player here and somebody we talked about earlier in the podcast, and I think it's Sterling Shepard. I think Sterling Shepard, if he can stay healthy for 17 games, can really be a player that kind of solidifies himself like, hey, <laughs> I know I'm going to count a lot against the cap, but I'm going to make it very difficult for you to cut me. And I think Sterling Shepard's just route running ability, everything we kind of talked about with Sterling Shepard over you know the last few years, he's unheralded and he doesn't get the respect that he actually deserves while watching the film. So I'm going to go with Shepard from that standpoint. Yeah, I think Nick picked the two best, but there's one more that comes to mind for me, and it's going to be Xavier McKinney. I am so excited about what Xavier McKinney might be able to do this year. I think he's a cookie-cutter perfect fit for the system. More importantly, I think he's a cookie-cutter fit for the role the Giants are going to have him play. Remember, at Bama, he was the quarterback of the defense. He played a role in that defense from a mental standpoint that I read very few players Saban has given that kind of responsibility and, to, and control to. Very few players in that secondary. McKinney was one of them. Now he has the full offseason. There were flashes on film from McKinney last year toward the end of the season where he just had those natural safety instincts to take the right break on the ball. He nearly had two more interceptions in that Cowboys game. One called back by penalty and one where he took a drive and he drove on a line and really came within inches of driving on a pick. That would have been a pick six. So I really think he's going to help them in so many ways, especially because I don't feel like they felt comfortable playing any single high safety type looks with middle field close without having him there last year for the I just don't feel like they felt comfortable with Peppers in that role. Truly comfortable. He played it a little better. His coverage improved, but I don't feel like they felt truly comfortable with him or any other safety on that roster. And now they have that ability. So I'm just super excited. I think by the end of the season, Todd, we're going to universally as Giants fan base believe and feel that McKinney is their best safety uh, on the roster. Which would be excellent, but also, uh, there's also Will Hernandez is somebody else that Dan and I have discussed on the podcast as well as somebody who could potentially live up to that and then maybe even price himself out of the New York Giants market in 2022. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I would love it if Hernandez, I remember that podcast well, if, uh, if he can put it together this year, that would be huge, obviously, with the, the line being what it is. So I'm kind of encouraged about your earlier comments, too, about uh, some of the improvements. But again, camp talk, I mean, you know, who knows how it translates to Sundays with uh, what we're 
we're seeing out of Shepard or being reported out of Shepard's cuts and if, if the O-line can hold up. I'm, I don't know. I, this is such an, uh, this year seems like it's such an enigma. This, but yet this is the most exciting off season and preseason for the Giants that I can think of in the last five or six years. So we could be really good. We could be really bad or we could be somewhere in between. So can't wait. Neither can we, Todd. Neither can we. Thank you so much for joining us, bud. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Good to hear from you, Todd. All right. It looks like that's all the requests we have to speak for now. Um, I think we covered most of one, what we wanted to hit from a camp standpoint already, at least from what we didn't get to on last show. The Giants are all – a few other notes. The Giants are working out some quarterbacks, Brian Lewerke or one quarterback, and then also Josh Doxson. Man, I remember when I thought Josh Doxson was going to be a really good NFL player. I think injuries have kind of slowed that down. Um, anything else, Nick, that comes to your mind? Uh, yes, yes. Um, Brian Lewerke is interesting from the standpoint that I remember, I think, after his sophomore year heading into his junior season, there was so much hype around this guy, and then he just flared out like crazy. But uh, bringing him in, I mean, it doesn't really mean much to the New York Giants, but Josh Doxson, man, you're, you're 100% right on the hype train of that individual coming out of TCU. I mean, he was just a a jump ball machine and then just never materialized in Washington. And he was kind of one of those fantasy football darlings where every season I feel like it was like, Hey, Josh Doxson, late round, you should invest. And then it just kind of always blew up in our faces, but yeah, that's really about it, bro. All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning into this live Q and a now that training camp is back and preseason soon, we will be doing a lot more of these. They'll come up randomly. Maybe one day during the season, we'll have an exact set time for it, but just, be on the lookout. And remember, if you haven't joined yet and you're just listening in, hit request to speak. Join us. Talk. Let's chat it up. Let me hear your questions, your thoughts. Even if you want to join just to bash Nick's food cakes, I would love to hear it. Or come in and one time bash something I say. Come on, guys. Get after me. I have bad food takes. I got bad TV takes. I got bad music takes. Get at me. I like the negative attention. So all that is good fun for me. But keep an eye out on the Big Blue Bander podcast. We will do more of these locker rooms, and these live Q&As. So otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we will talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.